This is Risky Women Radio, a show to connect, celebrate and champion women in risk, regulation and compliance. Sharing insight and perspective from the most influential members of our global Risky Women Network on the latest developments we need to think about, the challenges we should all talk more about and the innovation we are most excited about in governance, risk and compliance. Bringing together the hundreds of senior women professionals already connected with a new emerging group of leading women and men. I'm Kimberly Cole, your Chief Risky Woman. Welcome to today's Risky Women radio episode, where we will be talking about compliance and risk challenges faced by compliance professionals of smaller firms in the asset management industry, where innovation and access to compliance networks are of importance in the management of risk. I'm Jackie Sands, Managing Director, Risk and Compliance at Protivity, and I have the great pleasure today to introduce today's risky woman, Amy Ovid. Amy is the Chief Compliance Officer of Waypoint Investment Partners, Inc., an independent wealth management firm, and also of True Exposure Investments, Inc., an investment fund manager. Formerly the Chief Compliance Officer at Gluskin Chef and Associates, Inc., and CFO and CCO at AGF Trust Company, and an auditor and consultant with PricewaterhouseCoopers, she has breadth and depth of experience in the financial services sector in Canada. A fan of continuing education, Amy has accumulated several professional designations throughout her professional journey and taught audit and accounting at a local university. Amy is a chartered accountant, a certified information systems auditor, a certified anti-money laundering specialist, and a chartered financial analyst charter holder. Now working for two startup companies, she has taken on broad roles, including most of the back office and accounting functions, as well as compliance roles. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Jackie, for that intro. You're welcome. Look, tell us about some of the biggest risks you've taken in your career. Okay, biggest risks. I think I am generally a risk-averse person. That's my personality. I'm an accountant, I'm a compliance person now, and and I fit many of the stereotypes, I think, that go along with that. I've left jobs, and and those are risky things to me. So any sort of change to me feels like a risk. And I think I've gotten better at that as I go through my career, moving from a CA firm to industry and banking and now into securities. And I think one of the biggest risks I took, which I hope is not as big a risk today, was having children. So I was only a couple of years into my employment at a CA firm in Canada. And even now, I think there can be negative consequences for women who choose to have children in such professional environments. This was now over 20 years ago. And at the firm I work for, I was in the consulting area. And I had seen other women be given a safe assignment, sidelined for the better part of their pregnancies. So for me, I was 24 years old, or actually 23 when I was pregnant, and it was a risk for me, but I knew I wanted to have my children earlier on. So luckily for me, this risk paid off. I did not experience these sorts of negative consequences. Uh, the partners that I worked for, all almost men at that time still, were wonderful partners. I had this worry that I was torpedoing my career right at the beginning, and it didn't work out that way for me. So that, to me, was a big risk. I hope my children appreciate it. I have many children now, 
having <laughs> more children along the way. And it's been one of the best things of my life. So, so I'm glad I took that risk, but it was, it was a stressful time, I have to admit. Another risk that I took a little more recently was when I left kind of a bigger firm to take on these two, well, at the time, it was only one part-time role that I knew I would be moving to. Small, less than 10 people asset manager. This is, you know, it's a financial risk at this point in your career and a professional risk. So a lot of conversations with wonderful colleagues in the industry to uh, get over my uh, little bit of my imposter syndrome, which I will admit to having on occasion, convince myself I can still you know, enjoy professional satisfaction. I am knowledgeable enough to be of service to these smaller firms. And that's really what I was looking for was some way to make a bigger impact and, and really help these smaller firms uh, in the regulatory environment that exists in Canada today. And there had been recent changes in regulations that allowed somebody to be the CCO at more than one company. And I think I'm one of the first people in Canada, probably not the first, but you know, there's a handful of us who've done that. This has also worked out wonderfully. So I've given you two risks that worked out wonderfully. I will not say every risk that I have tried <laughs> out in my personal career has worked out great. Sometimes I trusted the wrong people or the wrong processes and got burned. But I think there is truth in that, you know, adage that you learn from all of your mistakes. So I think those are probably two notable highlights that worked out really well for me, but, but were stressful at the time. That's great. And quite frankly, your most recent risk is a great segue for our listeners. Maybe you can explain sort of how and where risks differ between smaller and larger asset management firms. Sure. Yeah, I think I've had a variety of sizes of this. You know, I worked at PwC, Cooper's and Librand, before the merger, and that's an enormous firm. And just thinking about general risks that apply to firms and people working at firms, some of those risks are universal no matter what industry you're in. So I'm in the asset management industry. Some risks are specific to that area. For example, if you're in a small firm, you have there's just fewer resources. That's the way it is. You're also much more nimble. So, you know, you, there's a give and take in the benefits of being a small firm. But if you had to defend yourself from a claim or an investigation or a lawsuit, it's a much bigger deal if you're in a small firm. You just don't have the same resource to draw from. Um, so I think that sort of risk can be much more significant for a small firm, for example. Another area I would say is expertise. It seems obvious, but it can be very expensive to acquire expertise. But in a small firm in this industry, asset management, the firm itself is still the one on the hook for getting it right. So if you have a CEO who's wearing multiple hats, they may not be an expert in any one of the areas that they have to oversee, but the risks they're taking are the same, just on a smaller scale. So they need to find ways to get that expertise in a cost-effective manner and still oversee those service providers to the best extent of their ability to make sure that it's being done correctly. So I think that sort of balancing act is a risk for firms that something gets overlooked. 
that's a great point. And it kind of makes me think then, are there less relevant perhaps risks to the smaller firm? Because, you know, you talk about common risks and how their scale or impact could be different, right? Between the larger or smaller firms, are there quite frankly, less relevant risks to a smaller firm? I think so. Since moving over to the smaller environment, maybe uh, just over a year ago in the middle of the pandemic, I no longer have to worry about multiple regulatory regimes. So I can focus on one country, one regulator, one type of client base, one type of product. So that multidisciplinary complexity isn't something I need to worry about anymore. That being said, now I have a much broader role. So for me personally, there's still interesting things to do, but in terms of risk to the firm, it's much smaller. I think one of the big things I noticed was project risk. So in, a, in larger firms, I used to be involved in a lot of projects. And one of the big areas of project management is getting buy-in. So this adoption risk, how do I make sure change management happens throughout this huge organization? In a small firm, you know, there's five people. So you just don't have to worry. You don't have a huge spend on training and getting buy-in and posters and all that stuff. You can just be like, okay, everybody, do we all agree? And you can really move so fast. So that speed of implementation is a totally different ballgame in a small firm, I would say. Some other things that are less risky is Silo, you don't have the silos that happen in a large firm. One of the things I really noticed was what I call the IT spaghetti. I'm sure there's a better term for it than that. But it's the picture that big firms always have of their IT systems and all of the linkages. And it just looks like a big ball of mess. And it's the legacy. It's the our old system. And then half of it got moved to this new system. We have a link here and a link there. In the, the one thing I'm loving and, and I'm feeling no risk about is have these clean data sets. There's no massaging of data. It's just nice, simple, everything from scratch. And, you, you know, I'm an accountant at heart. I have many of the stereotypical traits of an accountant. I like things just so. I like order. I like numbers. And creating a reporting structure from scratch is just like music to my ears and, and <laughs> such nice, you know I can just see here's my file here's my attachments and everything matches and I don't have that spaghetti and the burden of a long legacy and multiple system changes and everything oh nothing's ever simple when you have that IT spaghetti we call it so I think that's probably some of the things that I've noticed are less risky yeah, and just a, a comment on, on your last point there. Certainly, by having those risks missing, when you do need to pull together something, be it for the regulator, be it for, you know, some kind of litigation or other sort of case investigation, it's simpler, it's easier, you have more control and can certainly be more assured, although never 100%, but more assured that you have everything you need for yeah, that, I presume. Certainly from a compliance point of view, there is a reassuredness, or I don't even know if that's a word, to knowing everything that's going on in a small right. term. 
So I know that's it. There's one GL, there's one system, there's 50 clients or however many there are. And yeah, I can pull together that report myself. I don't even need help from anybody because everything is new and pretty and off to go. <laughs> there are some, some risks to a smaller firm. I mean, one person can have a big influence on a large firm or a small firm. But if you're the compliance person in any firm, you always have to worry, does this person's level of risk tolerance match my own? So as the compliance person, several people have told me, lawyers and others, like you're the one with the bullseye on your forehead related to compliance. So there is a, a level of personal liability to a compliance type role. And you have to make sure you match up well style-wise with the people that you're working with. So I'm pretty straightforward right off the bat. And after a few misstarts, I guess, that's one of the questions I would ask. What is your approach to risk-taking? What is your approach to compliance? I'll label where I am on the spectrum in terms of highly risk-averse to highly risk-taking. Do you match up with my approach? Because otherwise, it's a recipe for a ton of stress and, and conflict. You don't want somebody who's exactly like you because you want to have that counterbalance. But if you have somebody diametrically opposed to your approach, it can be a very stressful place to be. Absolutely. I guess going back to your comment on the new and shiny and, you know, great sort of environment of the smaller firm, what would you say or can you say that there has been a lasting impact arising from, you know, the last two years of the pandemic experience for compliance practitioners of the smaller firms? I think so. I mean, I started the pandemic in a larger firm, and then I've moved to a smaller firm during the lockdown. One big difference is I never need to go to the office anymore if I don't want to. So I have two part-time roles right now. One of my companies doesn't even have an office. It only has a virtual office that takes the mail. And there is no other bricks and mortar associated with that company. So I don't know, it seems pretty avant-garde in a way for a pretty uh, conservative type of industry. So this move to remote work, I think, has been a change. And I think it will last in compliance. I don't know about every compliance department, but certainly we were doing a lot of things manually that can be handled electronically much more efficiently. So I think the pandemic has spurred on, why are we getting this by mail? When at the beginning of the pandemic, there was concerns about mail delivery, there was concerns about touching mail. And it really has spurred that change to let's get a feed. And why can't you provide me a feed? This is the 21st century. At the beginning of the lockdown, I had daily meetings with staff. I don't have staff anymore, but you know, are you are you more productive at home? What is hindering you? And at the beginning, I would get, you know, I'm 70% of where I used to be in the office. I think after a year, nobody was at 70%. People were at 100 or more. Probably, I would say I was more productive during the pandemic. No lineup of people outside my door. But I think there's something lost in that movement as well, where a casual drop-in doesn't happen. And... It feels so if I used to have often, you know, that compliance intelligence network of just people who would come and say, you know what, this is 
this doesn't seem good, or I wonder if there's a way to improve this. And is that something, you know, compliance would be interested in? And you don't have that anymore. It feels much more important or like you're tattling on somebody if you have to call or set up a Teams meeting to talk to the compliance person about it. It feels like a bigger deal than a casual office conversation. So I think there is something that's been lost a little bit that I hope we can get back. But I think the efficiency and the, you know, the wonderfulness for me, anyway, of working from home will continue. I would echo that sentiment. I personally feel that the last two years were the most productive of my 30 plus year career, as crazy as that sounds. <laughs> yeah, I could agree with that. I mean, I had some big changes, obviously, so it's definitely more difficult to measure, but but um, definitely it's been, I used to commute an hour a day each way, and it's amazing how much more productive you are in your life and in your work without just losing those two hours every day. Agreed. This episode is brought to you by Protivity. Protivity is a global consulting firm with deep expertise in transformation, risk management and compliance. Partner with Protivity and face the future with confidence. So what then are some of the key challenges specifically for compliance practitioners and for those that are actually trying to hire them? So hiring is one of the things that I think has become more difficult during the pandemic. And I think it's a tricky balance anyway. I feel like it's hard to find a good person. People are in high demand. Good people are in high demand. And really for a compliance role, particularly in a small or medium-sized firm, getting the person that fits properly into your environment matters. So what do I mean by that? What are you good at? What services do you already have that are working well? And what can a new person bring to help fill that gap? I mean, time and money, anything's possible with time and money, but I think we want to minimize time and the money, particularly in smaller firms. So if you need somebody who can stay up to date on all the new regulations, decide what's important, proactively create content, write your policies, educate your staff, if that person has traditionally been a doer rather than a researcher or whatever it is you need, you might unintentionally have the wrong person who's a really great person for whatever it is they're good at, but just not for what exactly you. I've seen that happen. Or you might hire a consultant instead of a staff person. And maybe that consultant is well-versed in securities compliance. Uh, and your manual and processes and oversight and in that area, KYC is beautiful, but your AML is, is years behind. If you're this, you know, the sole portfolio manager or CEO of a, a two-person team, you're not an expert in AML either. So finding those right people is is a challenge more so for a small firm, I think, because you need to be selective with how you spend your money. But you still need to follow all of the rules that a big firm needs to follow. And I think what I found, too, is trying to hire people. Not everybody needs to be a compliance person in compliance. I'm a big fan of hire for attitude and 
train for the rest. I do love teaching. I used to teach at university and I one day I'll get back to that. So training somebody or talking to somebody who's interested in what you have to tell them and that wants to learn what you have to say is a great feeling. So I like finding those sorts of people. You don't have to be a compliance person to be able to learn about the parts of compliance that I need you to do. I don't need everybody to come in and be a compliance expert. There's a lot of transferable skills from other departments. Having people who understand the sales cycle, for example, is one of the best things I ever did in terms of hiring a compliance person because they just had knowledge that I was not familiar with. I've never been in sales. And they really had that practical knowledge. One thing that I find in in job requirements is I never write up a job requirement that says you need to know how to use a certain piece of software. I see that a lot in accounting jobs, sometimes in compliance for role building. I think anybody that I would want to hire is going to be able to learn that. Software has become so easy to use so trainable. If you hire somebody who's interested and has the right attitude, I think they can learn to use that software. And frankly, we might decide to change our software tomorrow. So having that five years of experience with that piece of software might be something about in the future. So I think for a small firm, summing up this long rant, a small firm really trying to find the person who complements your company's gap is the challenge Um, and you really need to think about all the things that need to be done and then what are the you know the highest value items that you need to try to bring in through this that's a, a good philosophy to follow for sure particularly in today's market where as you said previously you know hiring is more challenging in the pandemic but also Everybody wants the good people. And while there may be many good people out there, they're hard to find and certainly hard to procure when everybody wants them. So um, that's very sage advice. I guess, what would you say then at the moment, if if you could take now as a, a point in time, as we come out of the pandemic, all the sort of crazy things going on in the world in terms of economic sanctions, regulatory reform, and the speed at which regulations are changing, what would you say are the top risks that you personally, with both the firms that you're working with, are dealing with? I would say some of the things that I've been working on for the last decade still, cyber risk, it's a very different ballgame at a small firm. So I have a bit of a history with auditing IT systems, but we're talking now, we have three laptops and we use Office 365. What are the cyber risks related to that? What are the basic things that we need to put in place? And when I was at a big firm, there was an IT department that would set up all of our security and I could go and ask them, and, you know, have you done penetration tests? And, have we set up dual factor authentication? And now it's the same thing on a very small scale. And you just need to go back to basics. So how do I protect my system from people getting in? How do I protect the data while it's at rest? How do I protect the data in transit? And all of the things are there. 
but sometimes you have to know to turn them on. So that's one area that I've been learning about since I've been at a smaller firm is what are the basic items in Office 365 on, you know, people's laptops that are just the standard things you should have, which if I had an IT department, they would be able to tell me. Um, So that's one area that is always interesting. Every time the government itself has a cyber breach, I think, you know, it's just a matter of time. So it gets me kind of re-energized to look at cyber risks and think of ways to protect our clients' data. I think, too, new regulations, you mentioned it in your question. It's unbelievable, the number of new regulations. Uh, In Canada, we just had an introduction of what's called client-focused reforms, had a big impact on firms small firms, big firms, everybody, a lot of attention has been paid to getting this right. We're now turning our heads to, okay, we've created all these lovely policies on paper. Now we've had a couple of months trying to implement them in practice. Does what we thought would work on paper work in practice? Is it the most efficient way to do it? So now it's a little bit of that feedback loop to make sure that what we said we would do works so that by the time you know the regulators come in a year or in months or whatever, we've actually got a system that we can actually use and doesn't just look good on paper. So that's another area of focus, I would say. And then I think it is the asset management industry, so valuation and liquidity and making sure, you know, I deal with some funds, so making sure those funds redemption policies, match the liquidity, the underlying assets, those portfolio types of risks. I think with asset management firms, small ones, the one area you're almost always going to have expertise in is portfolio management. So it's often a portfolio manager who starts a small firm. So they know how to find the assets, buy the assets, do all that good sort of stuff. But I'm looking at some of the emerging risks in private credit and valuation and how these longer-term assets are as a trend going into more retail-type products. So I think it's a trend across the globe. Uh, I know in, in the UK, they've introduced a new retail fund structure that allows you to get access to private credit, for example. So we have you know, capability in that area. We have expertise in that sort of asset, how can I adapt that sort of structure for a small firm without spending a million dollars on legal fees? So that sort of uh, emerging risk, but it's also really an opportunity to get this sort of structure correct and be first out maybe in some cases or one of the first firms to have this sort of product because we can move very quickly. Excellent. So I have to say you've given all kinds of great insights to common risks and unique risks between, you know, the larger and smaller firms. But I guess now I would ask if you could give sort of one big solid piece of advice to risk and compliance practitioners that are in the smaller or medium-sized firms, what would that be? Amy's words of advice. I would say enjoy the variety. So I still have the chance to do research and analyzing things at a fairly high level, you know, private credit and new structures. 
but I'm also the person who opens up the envelopes to review personal account statements because I'm compliant in all of its forms. I personally love that. So I do enjoy the variety. And I think there's opportunity in a smaller firm literally sitting right next to you. The portfolio manager might be sitting right next to you. That they, they can bring you into whatever it is they're doing because they're literally right there. So I would say take advantage of your smaller firm's threat on a small scale to just get everything you can out of it. Excellent and sage advice because you are right in the larger firms and you said it earlier, everything is quite siloed and quite literally siloed insofar as physical proximity and who you easily can sort of bump into uh, when walking the halls. So I take your advice as quite sage because it is true in the smaller firm, you probably fit all on one floor or maybe in one room and have that opportunity to learn, observe, share, dialogue, research, and just quite frankly, personally grow. That's great advice. Thank you, Amy. So I would say to our listeners, this brings this episode to an end. It was a very interesting discussion on risks and certainly on Amy's interesting journey. Thank you, Amy, for joining us today and for sharing your thoughts, perspectives, and quite valuable insights. I have no doubt that our listeners have come away with some pretty practical considerations as they continue through their own career journeys. And more importantly, maybe now more will join smaller firms after that great insight. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you for listening to this exciting episode of Rescue Women Radio to connect, champion, and celebrate women in risk regulation and compliance. I'm Kimberly Cole, based in Hong Kong. For more information on the Risky Women Global Network, head to our website in the episode notes and please be a part of the ongoing conversation by subscribing to this podcast, connecting with us at Risky Women on Twitter, or even reaching out to me directly by email.